forgetting an MBA was like, you know how you everything can starts like, with the H higher education, exactly. housing, healthcare, you know Harvard, can- Harvard. Okay. No, no. <laughs> higher education, housing, Harvard, the three unaffordable H's <laughs> in America. Welcome to Please Fix Thanks, a podcast where we analyze and reflect on the bizarre trends surrounding young adults today. Hi, I'm Raj Parekh. And I'm Sanchit Wadhawan. And we're just two young professionals who sleep in, don't diet, don't have a side hustle, and don't have travel recommendations for you. And we're doing totally okay. If you're like us and you feel drained by the fads, norms, and ideas defining our culture today, come join us as we try to make sense of the forces taking a toll on our well-being and give our take on how to fix them. Welcome to the second episode of season two, Please Fix Thanks. We hope you're having a great week. And, uh, you know, we can't wait to talk to you about the famous three-letter word that everyone's in a mad goose chase trying to get these days called the MBA. Or uh, if for some reason you don't know the expansion of that word, uh, Masters of Business Administration. Um, Big graduate degree, you know, everybody after three to four years of working experience, if you're in consulting, banking, mm-hmm. or you're trying to break into those industries, everyone will bring it up at some point. Sometimes it also helps with your marriage prospects if you're brown, um, <laughs> mostly for marriage prospects if you're brown. Uh, it goes on your bio data, your stat sheet, you know, people yes. look at it. But anyway, uh, we digress. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about the NBA. Obviously, Sanchez and I are in the process of picking one up at some point in the future, I hope, if I can survive the GMAT first, that is. And um, the pandemic. I love, how you, I love how you, you know, made the GMAT sound like that's harder to survive than the pandemic, but yeah. Listen, man, pandemic, like, we talked about this last week. Like, nobody's getting on an airplane. We're stuck at home. I order my food, like, three times a week. I cook for the other times. Nothing's going on in my life. Like, I'm just, I haven't even gone on a walk in weeks because snowstorms, but, like, you tell me. Yeah, and, and GMATs are the the GMAT is the cockroach of the uh, standardized <laughs> world, right? Like it's in the same way that cockroaches can survive nuclear bombs, GMATs can apparently survive a pandemic that only happens once in a century. So yes, G, the only purpose of a GMAT is to emotionally destroy you. Um, yes, it's but uh, we can talk about that in a future episode. But but yeah, so we're in the process of getting an MBA and uh, or at least applying for an MBA in the future. And, uh, you know, we we understand that we don't have firsthand experience to give you any please fixes from our perspective. So what we did was we went out and talked to two people. First one being Jack. He's a current student at the University of Notre Dame's MBA program. Uh, and the second one being Sam, who graduated from the Stanford GSB program last year. To give you those perspectives and to give you what's working, what's not working, and the please fixes. But before we get there, Sanchez, why is everybody getting an MBA? Please tell me. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons. One, um, it's sort of institutionally ingrained as a thing you're supposed to do, right? I think a lot of people use a graduate degree as a checklist in their life to make sure that their career is on the right track. Traditionally, an MBA is great for increasing your future earning potential, getting you promoted higher. Um, You know, people can use it as a pivot to get into an industry that they want to go to if they're not happy with their current career trajectory. Emphasis on the word pivot, because you're going to hear that a lot this episode. That comes up. That definitely comes up. Foreshadowing. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I I think 
the interesting thing about an MBA, right, which is different from other degrees, is that typically, you know, you're expected to have at least three or four years of working experience before getting an MBA. There was a time it used to be two years. Remember those famous two plus two programs, which are now like X plus two? Yeah, um, yeah, where you can graduate with a bachelor's degree and enroll in like a two plus two program and you are guaranteed admission to an MBA program like two years in the future and then you go absolutely. work for two years. And here's the logic, right? I think they're thinking uh, we're going to earn $200,000 or $250,000 in a lot of cases in two years to pay for the program or just go more into debt because uh, that's what they like to do to their that's students. That's what don't we they? do in this country. It's just debt all the right. way down. You know, right. Who's going to pay for it when? We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. At some point in the future, we'll take money that doesn't belong to us and give it to other people. And at some point, we owe somebody else money in the future for it. Right. And that's called strategic finance in an MBA class. And that's called American higher education. Awesome. So with that, we know, you know, a few MBA programs um, clearly have a brand reputation. I mean, think of your M7s in America. Not that many seats, right, Sanjit? Like, let's say what a typical MBA would have, what, 500 seats on average times 20 top programs. That's that's not a lot of seats. And, and, And what happens is you have this sort of brand value game that everyone's trying to play and a lot of people are thinking okay if i don't get into the top 10 top 20 program my money is practically going down the drain but i still need a degree yeah what a weird world i mean the thing with the mba too right is like there's so many reasons that people get mbas that aren't purely educational right like i mean like why you would get a master's in science or a master's of fine arts or something i think would be to learn or grow your craft more whereas i think a lot of people get the mba for you know those recruiting or career opportunities and like when you start to i think disassociate a degree from the education behind it then branding does become more important right um and interestingly enough like i you know used to work at the admissions and recruitment office of like my undergraduate business school And I remember having a conversation a few years ago about how a lot of public schools across the country are actually cutting their MBA programs entirely because they're not like financially viable. Um, And oftentimes, like if you're outside of like the top 20 MBA programs, like obviously your Harvard's, your Stanford's, your Wharton's are minting money with their MBAs. But it's actually interesting if you go far enough down the list of like top MBAs, like a lot of schools are losing money with their MBA programs because not enough um, people want to go to those, you know, sort of non-name brand universities. Absolutely. And if you think about it, at the end of the day, you know, all these MBA programs are nothing more than a product, right, for these universities. Mm-hmm. And if a product's not doing that well financially, you shut it down and offer some other types of products. You know, the famous case here was uh, Boston University and Arizona State, uh, where, you know, they launched the first set of like online, fully online MBA programs that was actually targeted towards like experienced professionals, as opposed to like, you know, folks who are out in the industry for just about two to four years or five years in the case of uh, Stanford. And they did that before the pandemic and it went pretty well, but it's one half of the cost of the in-person MBA. And there was a backlash from the folks who were taking the you know, MBA in person saying, okay, what is the value of my degree? If someone sitting in a country far, far away can, can take it for half the cost. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, too, like to your point, right, if the value of your degree is lessened by somebody else getting the same degree as you in an easier way, I think it just goes back to the point of, you know, there's a million motivations to get an MBA that aren't purely, you know, I want to learn the coursework, which makes it sort of an interesting dynamic. But 
I know speaking case for studies, me. Case studies, Sanchez. Don't you want to learn case studies? Come on. I I love me a good case study. Nothing I like more than a good case study. But I, I think, you know, for us sort of looking into MBA programs, um, the biggest, you know, sort of intimidating factor of it is the cost, right? Like you're looking mm-hmm. at this and it's oftentimes 200 grand all in for a two-year degree like what are you how do they even come up with that number they're like all right guys we're gonna have you go to these like fancy corporate treks 10 times a year so twenty thousand dollars there thank you it's i mean it's honestly like mind-numbing i think even though i already got an undergraduate degree and i dealt with the sort of cost of an undergrad degree like you'd think i'd be a little bit more desensitized to how much college costs but It's just crazy. Like anytime you do research on these schools and these programs and you just see the tuition and the price tags, like it's um, honestly scary and intimidating to think about, like you might have to pay that much to get one of these. Explains why it's on the bottom of their pages, you know, like 90% of their website is just like, come experience the best business leadership program on the planet. (laughs) which would turn you into an Elon Musk by tomorrow. And, And you might, you know, think that, maybe you can get scholarships or maybe you can do some sort of like work studies or get internships at the time. And obviously you're hoping that the long run, you know, the increase that you get in pay will offset, offset the cost, the cost of yeah. the MBA. So I think that's definitely interesting. The other thing too, right, is the opportunity cost of getting an MBA. Like how do you feel personally as somebody who's starting your career and starting it off on a decent track, at least like you're going to take two years away of your career two years that you're not going to be making the money that you're making to go get a degree. Like what are yeah, your thoughts? The opportunity cost is too damn high unless, you know, your, your company is telling you go get an MBA if you're going to get promoted. Like if that's the case where your promotion is tied to you getting a higher education um, degree, then, then I guess it would make sense. And in that case, your corporation would sponsor you as opposed to paying out of pocket. But for the folks paying out of pocket for a career pivot, it is excruciating on their bank balances. Oh, I mean, and I think there's something to be said for like the pitfalls and dangers of having a degree that you, where you rely on companies instead of people to pay for them. You know what I mean? Like, Definitely. I don't want to make like an MBA equivalent to like platinum status on an airline, right? Where it's like, yeah, if you're rich <laughs> enough, then you alone can earn your platinum Delta status. But most likely you're traveling for work and you're not paying for half the tickets. Sanchez is still salty. There. He never made it. Um <laughs> I was salty that I would have gotten platinum on uh, United and it not, it was not going to unite my emotions. So there we have it. I'm just going to say platinum on United is worth coach and and Delta. So, you know, I'd rather take a local train in Bombay than get platinum United, but honestly, there's something depressing to be said about getting platinum on an airline, but that's a separate conversation. But yeah, (laughs) I I think if you're pricing your degree so that ordinary people can't afford it, I, I mean, I think there's a social cost to that as well. You know, but but I think time and cost are sort of the two big intimidating factors to somebody who doesn't know much about an MBA. Um, you know, the other thing that keeps me up at night is, do I have enough work experience to get an MBA yet? Oh my God, don't even get me started. They, I love how these statistics, every year I open up these websites, right, for MBA stats and like Poets and Quants and then and, and those sort of websites. Every year it's like the average work experience, you know, went from like 2.5 to 3.5 to 6.5 in some cases. And the average age is just going up. They're like, all right, just move here with your family, guys. We're just going to give you like family housing. Just go make some kids and then come move here and do your MBA. And I'm like, why? Why, why is this what? You know what's tough, right, is in this country, two of the most unaffordable things, right? As I'm sure you're finding housing. out. As a, housing is one. I would actually rank housing third. Housing is probably the most important unaffordable thing in this country. But two things I would say that are arguably more unaffordable are higher education and healthcare. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I I think that, like, my original plan for getting an MBA was, like, you know how you can Everything be, starts like, with the H. Higher education, exactly. housing, healthcare, you know Harvard. Can- Harvard? Okay, never mind. <laughs> Higher education, housing, Harvard. The three unaffordable H's <laughs> in America. Um, but, like, you know how you can be on your parents' health insurance until you turn 26, right? Right, 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 right. My plan was, like, oh, I want to graduate from grad school before I turn 26. Like, work for two years go enter into an MBA program at 24, leave at 25. And then like, you know, all the while being on, you know, my parents' health insurance. Right. And then, you know, the longer you find out you're in industry, the more you realize like three is kind of the floor, you know? Right. Like, and even that you're like an exception in most cases, because you're applying right when you're like, let's say 2.5 years out. And they're like, right. eh, you're too young to be here. I'm like, what do you and i do understand that you get more out of an mba the longer you have worked but at some point too like you can't expect people to like have to finish their education at 30 years of age or 29 years of age right like that's just a you know prohibitive timeline for a lot of people too so i think that's tough so Um, these are the pain points that we've outlined and you know these are some of the questions we've asked our interviewees and i guess we can leave it here right elon musk says mbas are hiring mistakes yeah, I mean, that, and that's the thing too, right? Like there is this whole West Coast tech trend of, I think, to me, I think Elon Musk in like Silicon Valley is the natural progression of the hippie spirit that happened right. on the West Coast in the 60s where it's like, oh, we're counterculture. But then suddenly counterculture turned into like, let's reject MBAs and wear $200 t-shirts. Right. Um, but I, I think that there's, you know, something said for, for the tech world, you know, rejecting MBAs and rejecting credentials and preferring skills over credentials. Because um, I think right. in, in some ways, MBAs are sort of perceived as like, oh, all this guy cares about is like being a profit maximizing robot. Like he's right. just business. Is he really, does he have any hard skills to back up his degrees and letters? He's going to walk in, fire like half the staff because it makes more business sense and then run the corporation yeah. all like, by himself. This guy, get a load of this MBA guy. This guy learned a framework at Harvard five, you know, months ago, and he's telling us how to run our business. I don't he need that. He says his million dollar valuation on this company is if we just go offshore with everything, we'll save costs. Well, right. That- or we should actually just get bought out by some bigger corporation if we want to succeed at maximizing our shares, right? Like, right. No, uh, we could also buy bigger corporations and burn them to the ground as a rest in peace Toys R Us. But yes, I might cry. <laughs> uh, Toys R Us just gives me. I will never forgive Bain Capital for Toys R Us. Um, was it Bain? Oh, it was Bain. It's Bain Capital. Yeah, that that destroyed. Oh. Hey, Mitt Romney. Hey, man. Uh, how are you doing over there? So, uh, if you needed another reason to not vote for Mitt Romney, it's, <laughs> it's that Toys R Us doesn't exist anymore. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so those are all of the uh, you know sort of pain points and I guess things that are intimidating us as people that are going through applying for an MBA. So we're doing something different this week. What we've mm-hmm. done is think of us as the before an MBA. Um, we're interviewing Jack, who is the during an MBA. He's almost halfway through his MBA program at Notre Dame. And then where you're talking to Sam in the second part of this uh, MBA episode saga, and he is sort of the aftercase of an MBA to give us sort of the perspective on what to expect after the MBA life. Definitely. And this is the first time we'll have to split up our episode in part one and part two. So hopefully you like this new format. And uh, with that, let's go to Jack.
So we have Jack Kirshner with us today and a former colleague of ours and an Excel guru. Jack, how are you doing today? I am doing great, although I don't, I don't necessarily know about the guru title. I've met some, some co-wizards uh, during my time here in the MBA program. So oh, come on. Just for audience, if you're not scared of an Excel tracker or spreadsheet before you've met Jack, you will be after you've met him, for sure. Guaranteed. <laughs> Terrifying, yeah. the stuff he does with the spreadsheet. Oh, man, yeah. All right, so Jack, tell us about yourself how, and where you are and which MBA program and you know, how'd you, uh, you know, what's your path to the MBA? Yeah, so I'm a first-year MBA, MSBA student at the University of Notre Dame's Mendoza College of Business. Um, the MSBA is Master's in Business Analytics. Uh, it's a little bit different than the traditional MBA program, but overall pretty well integrated. You know, great school, fit my interests. And yeah, I'm sure we'll get into the details of how I picked the program and uh, how I chose my concentrations and all of that as we go. So, so you picked up, or you chose to be in an MBA program uh, during this whole rise of Zoom University. So how's, how's that been holding up so far? Do you like yeah. the Zoom MBA? It's wild. I mean, I'm sure everybody's <laughs> seen the memes where it's like Spotify, $7.99 mm-hmm. a month, Netflix, $15 a month, Wharton, $52,000 a month. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, it's kind of funny because everybody's like, oh, like it's the most expensive streaming service ever. But Actually, for my program, we've been incredibly fortunate to have been able to do entirely in-person education, which my personal hot take on that is that, I mean, I think there's tremendous value in in in-person learning. And there's just certain things that I don't think technology can replicate from the human experience of Mm -hmm. just being able to learn and collaborate in person. And I don't I don't even think technology is going to be able to fully overtake that within my lifetime. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I've been really fortunate. We had a week beginning of the year when we had to go remote, uh, when case numbers upticked. But um, when we looked at the data, it was mostly the uptick was in the undergraduate population. And so the graduate students were able to get back on campus, um, you know, with socially distanced learning methods that they put in place pretty quickly. Uh, and it's, it's been great. Did I, that I, uptick at Notre Dame have anything to do with when they stormed the field after beating Clemson? Was it like around that time? <laughs> myth, myth, myth number one. Uh, no, <laughs> actually, yes. Case numbers. So like there's a cool Tableau dashboard like here.nd.edu. I think anybody can go see it. Um, it's kind of fun. You can watch the seven week trends of uh, of the, the mm-hmm. case loads and all of that and surveillance testing and everything. But um, yeah, definitely. Can you take us through maybe a day or a week in the life with how you're balancing Zoom versus in-person learning? Like, are you on campus now? Kind of what is yeah. your journey like nowadays? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I applied super late, which we can maybe go into that tangent later, but pretty much within the course of a month, I dropped my entire life and moved to South Bend, Indiana, um, left from Chicago and packed all my, my life up in a U-Haul van and, and moved over uh, South Bend. And um, did you meet Mayor Pete on the way? No, I did not meet Mayor Pete. I've yet to see him. I'm sure he's around somewhere, but I also haven't really been looking that hard. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I guess I guess day in the life, like first mod, um, it's like a, mods are just quarters essentially for the for the semesters. And so mm-hmm. there's really quarters and you switch classes each quarter. You usually have about four classes a quarter. Um, but yeah, no, so we start off like the program is, is really great in that everybody who's in the MBA program starts off with the same classes and same class schedule. You have two cohorts. It's a relatively smaller program overall, but you have two cohorts and you're going to be in class with those individuals. And so you take like finance, financial accounting. There's like a, an ethics class and then a career leadership class where it's like how to apply to jobs pretty much one credit hour. And then, oh man, I can't remember my other first class, but you're in with all your classmates. Um, the desks are all spread out like six feet apart. Uh, everybody's got to wear a mask. There's sanitization going on like between classes. You have to wipe down your desk before and after and all of that. 
but yeah, I mean, I guess, I, I guess the, the real pro is that all of your classes are picked for you. And so you have a cohort that um, you have some consistency with and you're able to build that shared experience early on when you're coming to a new place. And I think that that's really important for being able to build relationships with your classmates. There's theory and then you have cases. Um, you're broken into learning groups, which is like groups of five people. And you collaborate mostly over Zoom, which I was used to coming from background of consulting, just like, can you see my screen? Um, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, we did that. There's also conference rooms where it's like five people minimum and you can, or maximum, and you can go in there and meet up. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the cases, the classes are, are pretty broken down between theory and case. And then there's some classes that are more case heavy than, than others. So, so what were your assumptions about these classes, you know, before you walked in and now that you've gone through some of these classes and you're in your second quarter, I guess, which of these assumptions like fell flat versus held up to your previous beliefs? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I had a number of assumptions going in. I, I thought, honestly, I thought classes were going to be a little harder. Mm-hmm. Um, the, what I've actually found is they're like kind of a, a perfect balance of like intellectually stimulating and time consuming and difficulty where it's like it's challenging but it's not like if you're good at time management it's challenging and you can work obviously as hard as you want and invest more time in other classes depending on what your interests are but i think it's like a really good mix and then part of it too i think honestly is like i'm so much better of a student now than i was in undergrad so i worked for four years before going to get my mba being a student at 26 versus being a student at 18 man i wish i could go back and tell 18 year old jack all the things that I learned now, like actually studying a little bit every day, it does work. But you know, college Jack never did that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I thought it would be harder. But part of it is, I think they really have the curriculum dialed in. And part of it is I'm a better student. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, you mentioned that you're in these cohorts of, you know, people and you're doing a lot of collaboration still, whether it's over zoom or in a conference room. What Again, kind of what were your primary motivations for getting your MBA and like, why are the people around you um, pursuing your MBA? And if you want to talk about maybe like what the backgrounds of the people that you work with are as well, and, you know, give a sense of who you're surrounding yourself with as you go through your coursework, that would be great too. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll start with my own motivations for, for getting an MBA and mm-hmm. really there's, it came down to three buckets for me. First one is career trajectory. Second is career refocus. And then third is just like higher education as a whole. And so with like career trajectory, obviously like spent a lot of time researching programs, talking to people who have gone through the MBA process and landed in a lot of different areas. And like some of the, there's like some of the tangibles like increased pay. Um, but really the biggest one is uh, from a trajectory standpoint is just everybody who I've spoken with that has gotten an MBA and gone through some program and gone to work at any variety of firms. It's just an accelerated plethora of growth opportunities, I would say that are out there. Like really probably the biggest one though, is the career refocus. And so I entered consulting out of undergrad because I was, you know, I was ambitious, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to focus on professionally. And, you know, it took probably about the bulk of those four years to really figure out what my strengths and weaknesses are, what my interests were and what I was talented at. And, you know, I felt like I left to go get my MBA at the perfect time where I had enough self-discovery in my early professional career to really figure out, okay, here's what it is I want to do. Here's the gaps. How do I grow? How do I get there? And the last one is I'm, I'm a big nerd. And so like, <laughs> overall, like I, I love learning. And I, I just think that like education is one of the best ways you can really better yourself and open the door to opportunities in your life. And so I knew that no matter what, when I went into the professional world, there was some type of higher education down the road for me. 
eventually I figured out MBA is the way to go. Um, I think the second part of your question was like motivations of my peers. And I hate to say this, but it depends really. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, you learned that line in the last answer. four years of your job. <laughs> yeah, right. It depends. Um, yeah, that's the, you can put, that can be my epitaph. Just, you'll find that on my tombstone. That's every consultant's epitaph. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, a lot of my peers had like pretty similar reasons where it's like, okay, they had, they were in a job that like wasn't completely aligned with their interests and they wanted to refocus or the, the buzzword is pivot. You'll hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, I went to my MBA to, get to, or went to go get my MBA to pivot my career. And so like, that's, that's the one that people like to throw out or a lot, but I think it's a valid one. A lot of people do that. And then like other people went with the exclusive goal of like getting into a particular industry, like banking or consulting or tech. Um, that's another big one. And some people just, there's actually one guy I know that his firm in order to promote him, they wanted to get him, wanted him to get an MBA. So they sent him to go do that. And then another guy who has probably the coolest idea, he quit his job as a law partner. I can only imagine how much he made. And he just, he was done with the legal profession. He was over it. He was sick of it. And he wanted to go. He's a law uh, partner at what age again? He's a a partner. I don't know how old he is. Uh, He's older. Okay. Um, in terms of like the class, but yeah, I mean, he was a partner at a law firm and just was like, I'm sick of being a lawyer and decided he liked business and that's what he wanted to do. And so like, there's just a real breadth of, of reasons. But I mean, like the, the whole thing on that is like, like, I think it's really hard to get into an MBA program unless you have clearly articulated like what your career goals are and how that particular program is going to help you grow to get to that position you want to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just sort of a prerequisite for even being able to get in a program. Um, so, but yeah, motivations differ. What do you think would be the biggest pain point of, you know, going through an MBA program right now, right? So we, we've heard about your pros, your motivations, um, why an MBA would make sense for you. Yeah, I mean, I actually have, uh, this is, I guess I'll, I'll start with this anecdote, but um, yeah, so I kind of YOLO applied third round. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for, during COVID. Um, so like I was, I, like I said, I always knew I was going to go to business school, but like co- all these third round extensions happened during COVID. And like, I was like, oh man, you know, the job market's probably going to take a turn. One of my projects was coming and my project horizon was not very bright. Uh, my previous firm in terms of like the opportunities out there. Yeah. I mean, it's the cons right now are just like, honestly, they're all COVID related. Okay. Um, which, you know, that's, it is what it is. It's fine. I mean, I think it's been, it's been a little bit more difficult, I think, to really bond with a, a large variety of my classmates. Like I have a really great group of friends that all lives in the same apartment complex. And there's about nine of us and we got really close together, but it's a lot harder, obviously, with, with safety protocols and everything and trying to be mindful of that to like really get to know and meet all of your classmates. And then that's just like from an outside of the classroom thing. But then also like club activities have been on the downtick a lot more virtual meetings there. And so like a lot of the, the social aspects have been muted a lot. On the other side too, is like first years, obviously you're going through your internship search and recruiting has just been, it's been kind of a nightmare, I think for a lot of people. And I've talked to other friends at other schools and it's, they've kind of agreed. And like, so even, even like companies that have really strong relationships with the universities that come and recruit actively, they're doing it through Zoom, and it's just not quite as meaningful and as you just don't get that contact and connection, you know? Yeah, so it's like, it's a lot harder, I think, to go out and network and and do all the the Zoom calls and everybody's already on Zoom. And so now you're just like this, this totally like newbie business school student that just wants to learn about company X. And this guy's like, Oh, my gosh, you know, I have to put another Zoom call on my calendar. 
don't know. That's kind of a tough part, I would say, um, is navigating that. But yeah, I mean, those are probably the cons. One question that we had too, Jack, is like just getting your thoughts on this, and you can really answer this in any direction you want, but mm -hmm. what yeah. would you say about the thought of, you know, like the opportunity cost of attending, you know, a full-time two-year grad program in the middle of your career, sort of putting it on pause? Like, would you recommend that to someone who, you know, isn't considering it? Or would you, you know, like, how would you feel about just that sort of dynamic of, oh, I'm going to take yeah. off two years of my career to go get a degree and I'm missing out on, you know, two years of salary, promotional job experience, like all that stuff. Yeah. Well, Sanch, I've done the, I've done the discounted cash flow on this very problem and uh, <laughs> my finance professor would be very happy of me, but I mean, there's sort of the numbers telling you, <laughs> oh, well, I'm not, not going to give you guys any specific figures but for me, me personally, like the return, you know, the, the net present value of going to business school is, is substantially higher. And I mean, I think that's true across the board, but that's, I mean, really like it comes down to the individual level though. So it's like, I know that there's always, not always, but sometimes that pressure where it's like, oh, you, you know, you have to follow this particular route through your career and through your life. And a lot of people fall into that trap and like, of the, that's what you're supposed to do. This is, this is how this path looks. And so like, as an individual though, you know, you really have to ask yourself like, okay, is an MBA going to be necessary for where I want to get to or the pace I want to get there? Um, and then they have to do the opportunity cost of like salary. Are there, is their employer going to be able to pay for it? Is what's, what's their chances of getting a scholarship? And so there's a lot of variables that come into play. And, you know, for me personally, it, it just, it made sense both from a financial and from like a professional, uh, personal development standpoint to go. One of the opportunity costs though, is it's, you know, I am missing that income. I, I don't have as much money anymore to, to gamble on AMC and g and &E, um, <laughs> you know, there's plenty of us holding the line for you, Jack. Don't oh, worry about that. I got, I've got my, my two shares of GME and, you know, so that means you got your MBA yeah. paid for, right? Uh, well, we were hoping, but we'll see, we'll see right? Hold the line. Um, of course. What a wild, what a wild world has been in the markets recently. It's, that it's was, hey, was everyone's like, been talking about the stock market. It's been insane. It's wild. My my friends were giving me some crap about it. I'm like, look, man, it's. I look at it as like a share of GME right now is a ticket to an amusement park, and I'm here for the ride. Yeah, no, it's honestly, Absolutely. it's cheaper than a concert ticket if you think about yeah, it. Like, yeah, yeah, for real. So from the financial perspective, you know, you talked about how there is this trade-off, right? You're putting a pause on your salary, your promotions, basically your net income. And now there's mm -hmm. like a net cash outflow uh, as tuition and other costs, right, of, of being at the program. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the monetary costs involved uh, with the MBA overpriced, underpriced, worth it with which respects. Like we talked about restricted networking opportunities, restricted social opportunities. Um, how do you factor all of that in? Yeah, I mean, that's tough. And like higher education as a, there's like a whole, you guys could even do an entire episode or maybe on like higher education and it's, it's price and how that's sort of appreciated over time relative to wages and all of that and mm -hmm. whatnot. And so like, obviously it has gotten more expensive over time. Like, like I said, still, I think the net present value, if, if it's right for you from a development standpoint of an MBA is still, it's still there. But how then, do you personally feel about forty thousand or sixty thousand dollars leaving your bank account every year? Oh, dude, no, it's like it's like two hundred thousand dollars for the whole okay. trip plus and then some. Like, because because it's like it's not just tuition; it's you have to pay rent. And like, even though I'm in South Bend, Indiana, where rents are really cheap, like you know, it's it's still a non a pretty substantial chunk of change. And then you have living costs, and then you know you're gonna 
in a normal year, you're going to have to travel to do some networking and interviewing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. That might change moving forward, but it happens. And then you have class trips to go. Um, you know, we have like tech tracks where you go to Silicon Valley and meet with all the, all the big tech firms out there. And then there's also like a financial track where you go to wall street and you go to the financial district and all that. And so there's, there's trips, there's, uh, textbook costs are much smaller than undergrad, which is great, but like that's, that's bucket, like drops in the bucket compared to the overall cost. And so, you know, be prepared to probably be mailing $200,000 out the door, um, for a two-year program. And so, but how would you fix this? How, how would I fix it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, this is where the hot <laughs> Show us were. the models, Jack. Show us the models. <laughs> oh, Tell geez. us why your MBA was worth it. Let's go. <laughs> I guess I'll go on the whole tangent of like higher education, how it's super expensive. And there's all these administrative costs that have gone through the wazoo over the years. Um, as far as like fixing the, the cost, I don't know if it's like, I don't know if the price, for me, the price is right. You know, maybe I, I, it's, it's like an economics problem again. Like how much do you value the product or service? Right. And it's like, schools that do they charge you the right amount how much value do you create versus how much value do you capture and for me i feel like my my value capture is much higher than value creation for me i don't know <laughs> i mean to be fair it is, it is a really difficult question right i mean yeah. the thing i the thing i worry about is is kind of what you said right like the fact that you know schools can charge 200 grand for a degree and it is still economically viable right makes it you know hard to create incentives to make it cheaper uh, I mean, the thing I worry about is always like there might be somebody who really benefits from an MBA and goes on and creates a business or a company that changes the world amazingly, right? In this sort of yeah. alternate universe, but they would never get the education or the support to do it because maybe they mm-hmm. can't afford it or have access to the credit or, you know, are in a position where they want to go through that financial pain on the front end. So that's really kind of what I worry about is like the inaccessibility more so than the economics, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, as you know, like any a society that, you know, maximizes the opportunities available to its, its best people is going to, um, you know, they're going to reap the rewards if you're able to, to get your, your best and brightest people all the resources they need in order to flourish. Um, you know, it's just going to maximize human flourishing for the society. But, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a, certainly an issue. But yeah, I, I guess like exactly what you said is like the fact that a school can charge, you know, 200 grand for a trip and it's still economically viable for the students. Without, without the incentives are aligned and, you know, as, as we all have studied in, in our business degrees, mm-hmm. if, if the incentives are there, it's incredibly hard to, to change the behavior. It's, uh, so what do you think about, so when like folks like, let's say Elon Musk come out and say MBAs are hiring mistakes or, you know, corporates are wasting their time hiring a bunch of MBAs, like wh- how do you as a current MBA student view that line of thought? And the perception, the general perception that people have, for example, like there's this famous case of like, you know, how Silicon Valley folks typically hate the MBAs, right? Like we all Mm -hmm. like Apple does not even consider MBAs for their engineering product manager role versus like an MS per se, right? And and you're on this MS MBA path. So you're like right down the middle. So how do you view that? Yeah, I mean, I think MBAs get a bad rap a lot of times. And it's like, mm-hmm. we, we just get a rap that we are profit maximizing robots, right? And <laughs> right. society society and social well-being be damned. Um, <laughs> like, Basically. Yeah, you know, we're, we're not just these profit maximizing automatons. Like, Elon's known for his inflammatory tweets. And he says the things, he, you know, I get where he's coming from in that standpoint, where it's like, you just get this this notion where it's like, oh, I'm going to come into the firm and here's, we're going to cut costs. We're going to fire a certain, you know, X number of underperforming employees. And then we're going to increase profitability and our, our, uh, our gross margins are going to be this much higher because we were able to hit this operational efficiency. 
And like, I think what he's getting at at the heart of that is like, people are losing sight of what the purpose of business is for. And really the, the purpose of business is, you know, you create a product or service that generates value for your customers. Mm-hmm. And so if you're just focused on creating a, you know, being in business for the sake of profits, it's like the shareholder theory versus the, the stakeholder theory mm-hmm. of, uh, I forget, I forget all the, the articles I read on that, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no. Google's shareholder versus stakeholder theory. It's like, shareholder theory you know profits are king stakeholder theory like your your mission is to serve your customers you know i think i think mbas just get that bad rap for being profit maximizing automatons and then like if the, if that's the case then yeah i would agree with that statement do you think your program is actively trying to address right the oh, increasing yeah. okay so like yeah, in your definitely. coursework and stuff can you talk about that yeah, our tagline is like, it's called, it's grow the good in business. And so like, okay. and there's this huge plaque on the auditorium outside of our, um, like the, the main auditorium in the business school where it's like the purpose of commerce is service to mankind or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that obviously like at the end of the day, the way that I look at it personally and the, the way that is very much in the ethos of, of Notre Dame is, you know, you want to, you want to ultimately create and add value to people in your lives, like your customers and all that. And if you do that, you'll be able to capture some value for yourself. And that's kind of at the heart of any business strategy is value creation and value capture. If you get too focused on the value capture side of things, which I think a lot, there's, there's a tendency to do that in a fast moving economy where everybody just is demanding profits and and all that. And so if you just get super focused on, well, what can I get out of this Mm -hmm. and completely forget that this, that the reason you're, you're able to deliver your product or service in the first place is because you have a customer that has a demand for it and, you know, you're creating value for them. You know, that's, that's empty and that's, that's, not, that's not fun. I don't think that's why, that's not why I want to get into business and that's why, uh, why I think Elon Musk ultimately made that tweet. Yeah, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to argue with him a little bit more on that. And so we're not all bad people. All right, so let's say some of our folks in the audience get inspired by Optimism Jack and they want to, you know, apply for the MBA and spend $200,000 that they'll never see again. (laughs) Um, What advice would you have for them specifically around the pitfalls you avoided or you've seen other people, you know, make some mistakes and you want to help them avoid? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think first and foremost, you have to have a really clear path of why it is you want to get an MBA. You know, what, whether that's like skills gaps or pivoting your career. Um, switching industries, switching functional roles, that sort of thing. Like you have to have this level of self-awareness and like intelligence about who you are as a person. And then from that, really understand where it is you want to go and then find some programs that suit your personality. So like for me, I look for a collaborative program where the the students were like really focused on helping each other. Other programs are a little bit more cutthroat and competitive. Mm -hmm. So just like having that knowledge about yourself and being able to find a program that teaches the curriculum that you need to fill in those skills gaps, has the connections with the alumni that work at the company you want to work at. So do you think they should be looking too much into the brand name or would you say the fit between you and the program is more important than the brand name? Because a lot of people are going to fall in the brand name trap. So what's your, oh, what are your thoughts on that? The whole brand name trap and the m Hot takes, let's go, Jack. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, it, it's tough, right? I mean, the, the, the big schools that are out there that are well-known, um, you know, they have their reputation because it's, you know, they're, they're good schools or they have good placement, good average salaries to, to good firms. But like, and this is the other thing about edu- like higher education too. It's like, that, what's the marginal benefit from going to like a top tier school, like a tier one school versus a tier two school or whatever? I don't even like to put it in tiers because it's like, there's so much more than that than just like the poets and quants or USA rankings or whatever. 
that's that's something that a lot of people just get so hung up on is like, oh, I have to go to a top tier school. They kill themselves over trying to get into it. Really, the the MBA is right for them. And if you know, there's a lot of great schools out there. And you know, don't get too laser focused on you know you have to go to a you have to go to Harvard Business School. You know, if you if you broaden your horizons, you're going to meet some outstanding people at at other institutions that are just as good, and you can get just as much of a great experience out of. And so I've never really, my, my whole personal take is like, I've never really been one where it's like, you know, I don't, I don't really care where you, you got your education. I care more about that you as an individual are, you're intellectually curious and committed to learning. I care a lot more about the contact of your character than the, the diploma that's hanging up behind your desk. You know, Sanchez, I really wish that all managers are like you, Jack. Definitely. <laughs> let, let us know when you're hiring eventually. <laughs> right. Rare commodity. We want to roll ourselves on to your project. Thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'll see. Maybe someday. <laughs> With that, thank you so much for giving us your time today, Jack. And um, yeah, we wish, wish you the best of luck with your rest of the MBA program and your journey and uh, hope you uh, kick ass in consulting again. Yeah, it was great catching up with you guys. And thanks for letting me rant and ramble about all things MBA. Um, of course. I always. Mean, we're here for If you that. ever want to come back on the pod, you have an open invite, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, more than happy to do another episode with you. I, I'm going to broadcast you guys to like all seven of my semi followers on social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Zoom, Zoom room is always open for you to crash. So, yes. <laughs> right on, right on. Yeah, that was definitely some great advice from our buddy Jack Kirshner. Uh, tune in next time to our second part of the episode where we interview Sam Alikani to talk about life after an MBA. We'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Please Fix Things. I'm Raj Parekh. And I'm Sanchit Wathawan. If you liked what you heard, we would really appreciate it if you could rate, subscribe, and tell your friends about us. Toss us on your Facebook feed, send this to your boss, or post this episode on your LinkedIn page and tag some people just to see what happens. We don't really care, just spread this around. You should also check out our website, pleasefixthanks.com for all of our episodes and latest updates. If you want to tell us how we took the words right out of your mouth or have suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a note at hosts at pleasefixthanks.com. We hope to catch you next time. See ya. Thank you.